This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight, Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family, written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician Dr. Ben Carson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Thank you for listening to Prophetic Politics. This is Thabiti Anyabwile. I want to make you aware of something special that's happening and invite you to come. March 5 through 7, 2020, Just Gospel 2020 will be having a national conference in Alexandria, Virginia. That's March 5 to 7, 2020 in Alexandria, Virginia at Delray Baptist Church. Our theme this year is Pilgrim Politics. So if you've been interested to listen to prophetic politics and you've been encouraged by what you've heard in turn, in, in tone, in substance, come to Just Gospel 2020. We're going to be thinking about what it means to be Christians, particularly what it means to be pilgrims who are passing through this world, who have a prophetic political concern for the things that are happening to our neighbors, the things that are happening to our country, uh, and who are trying to think how to bear faithful witness um, in, in, our, in our local situations, in our national situations, and so on. So if you want more of this, more of this conversation, if you feel like this is an area of discipleship where you want to grow, need to grow, uh, as I do, March 5 to 7, 2020, Just Gospel 2020, Pilgrim Politics, Healing Conversations About Christians and Politics in Alexandria, Virginia, Come to our website, justgospelconference.org, justgospelconference.org, and find more information. We'd love to have you there. Hey, we might even tape an episode of Prophetic Politics, and you can join us. God bless you. This is the Prophetic Politics Podcast. I'm Nick Rodriguez. I'm Zabidi Anyabwile. And I'm Ben Brophy. And today we're going to talk about taxes but ben is back to his regular voice i was waiting on you know the the whole the, my my deep date voice yeah, yeah so we'll we'll get there when i have a, <laughs> when i have a compelling and powerful point that you cannot nah, fair enough an authoritative point that's right um well taxes um are a big issue in any government they often actually you go to any country in the world they are often a defining issue between sort of two major parties on the left and right you know who's okay with more taxes, who would rather have fewer. Um, and in, in America, certainly, it's a defining issue between our two uh, political parties. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about today. How should we think about taxes? All right, well, kick us off, man, as you usually do. What 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 are taxes and um, what are the issues yeah. around taxes? So let's say what? <laughs> Vince says theft. theft. Okay, okay, so <laughs> one party thinks taxes are theft. One, one segment of one party. One segment of one party thinks the taxes So actually, I used, I, so definition, what is a tax? It is when the government forces you, and I use that word deliberately, to pay money to it for something. So that's why that's where Ben's coming from with theft. But the idea that we've talked before about the government has the power of the sword, the coercive power of the state. So under that power, they can, well, have us obey laws, have us do all sorts of things. Tax law says, on pain of the coercive power of the state, um, you have to pay us money in certain circumstances for certain things, essentially. Yeah. One definition of politics is the authoritative reallocation uh, allocation of resources, right? Huh, yeah. sure, yep, yep. So 
So usually, now that being said, usually taxes are designed and levied on one or another kind of activity or an economic activity. So typical examples most of us will be familiar with, sales taxes. They are levied when I buy something and you know there's a 6% tax on top of it. Um, income taxes levied on the income I earn from work. Now those are different, there are different types of income taxes, right? There are payroll taxes that are levied on wage income that show up in your paycheck are usually deducted um, right away, which makes us all really happy. Um, there are what are called um, ordinary income taxes, which is just sort of, uh, whether it's wage income or other kinds of income, uh, income that you, uh, the, uh, taxes that you have to pay. So I pay uh, I pay 10% of the, you know, whatever it is, the first $10,000 I make, I pay 15% of the next $10,000, et cetera. Built into that is something called progressive marginal taxation, which is, I don't think it was always a thing, but it certainly is pretty typical in most countries and in ours as well. You have what are called tax brackets. Um, and the idea there would be that the tax rates lower for lower levels of income, and it gets higher as you get to higher uh, levels of income. Um, everyone pays the lower tax rates for their first, whatever it is, $10,000 and then $20,000 of income. But then once you get up into, I'm making half a million dollars, then that's taxed at a different rate than your sort of $10,000. You can tax other kinds of income. You can tax capital gains from stocks that you own or dividends from stocks that you own. And of course, um, if you're a small business owner, um, you can be taxed for business profits that you make on your small business. There are also taxes on assets, uh, taxes on property. For anybody who owns a house, you have to pay property taxes. Um, there are trade taxes, taxes on importing goods from abroad and on exporting them, what are called tariffs. Um, those usually aren't paid by us directly. Um, but of course, they affect us because they then end up in the prices um, of those goods and services. There are taxes on corporate profits. So if you have, you're for a big corporation, you don't get taxed on all your revenue, but you get taxed on the profit, essentially. Um, <clears throat> and then, of course, there are more radical ideas for tax. You can, you can tax anything, right? So Elizabeth Warren uh, in the Democratic primary campaign is proposing a wealth tax, which is controversial because it says, if you have lots and lots of money, you know, every dollar over your 50 millionth dollar would be taxed at 2% for as long as you have over $50 million, which would over time cut into uh, the amount of money that you have. Um, anyway, but that, that, the reason that's controversial is because it's taxing money that the person's already made. They already paid, they already made, ta they already made the money. Uh, they paid taxes as the money came into their uh, sort of bank account. So why should they pay taxes just for having the money now, right? Then, but those arguments get made in multiple forms, dividends, capital gains also. So anyway, um, a lot of the debate is over what do you tax? Right? What kind of activity do you tax? Um, now, there's another side of the tax code that is um, almost as important, and that's deductions and credits. Um, <clears throat> so these end up being almost as important as what we tax because they basically define exceptions to those rules. If you own a house, um, and, and by, the way a deduction works is it reduces the amount of income that, you, uh, that is subject to taxation. Um, so for example, if I make, you know, $10,000 and I pay $3,000 of it in mortgage interest, then I only get taxed on the $7,000 that's left. Um, and so that's what sort of, uh, that's what a deduction is. You get a deduction for charitable giving. So every time I, uh, tithe to church, right, that donation is tax deductible. It's as if that money never came into me and therefore, um, I don't have to pay taxes on it. Um, there are also what are called tax credits that what those are, it's literally money the government gives back to you straight up. Uh, for things like having children. So if there's a child tax credit, for example, um, you get your reduced tax liability for a certain amount because you have kids. The idea being that it's supposed to help it make it easier to be a parent, help make it easier to raise a family. Um, so one problem with deductions and credits is if you've got too many of them and they're too complicated, 
it's hard to know what the tax code is really accomplishing for you. So you might like, there are situations where at different points in our history, we've had tax rates as high as like 80% on top income. But then what then that's immediately followed by and no one actually pays that rate uh, because there are different deductions and other things that they take advantage of. But then you don't really know what are your taxes? Ha have we designed our taxes in the right way? Um, purpose of taxes. The purpose of taxes, first and foremost, I suppose, is usually to raise revenue, to raise money for the government to operate. Um, and the question often is, what's the best way to raise that revenue? What's the fairest way to tax different things and to mix those taxes uh, in order to raise that revenue? Um, a few things we consider. <clears throat> One, who the burden falls on. So different types of taxes will affect different types of people. If I pass a special tax that's only levied on like Teslas and Lamborghinis, um, that tax is going to affect probably <laughs> wealthier people more than it's going to affect poorer people. If, on the other hand, um, <clears throat> well, yeah. So I think that famously there was the boat. I'm misremembering the example, but famously there was like a, a tax on yachts, right? And so, oh. yes, that that does target people who can afford a yacht, but it also supports all support. It also the, it's those also in the yacht building industry support in like the support industry for it. Clean, yep. cleaning the boat, helping dock it, being you know all those yep. kind of like subsidiary stuff or support yep. systems for a certain industry. That they can so those aren't rich people. You are you okay as well. You are you are right, Ben. I I think while I'm I wasn't trying to argue for or against yacht taxation there. I know. Um, ex only to say that you always have to you actually have to ask those questions like who yeah. actually is bearing the burden of this tax, right? And why and how and any number of things like that. And that's actually sometimes a tough one to answer. So for example, I might say you know what I'm going to increase payroll taxes, but don't worry, I'm only going to increase the payroll taxes on the employers. Employees won't feel it. But any economist will tell you the net impact of that is that employers will respond by paying their workers less, right? So, right. so it's actually quite difficult to know what the impact of a tax is going to be. Um, we speak of taxation as being more progressive, which is to say, you know, people with more means pay more, people with fewer means pay less, or regressive, by which we mean that actually the burden seems to disproportionately fall on those who make less money. Um, and so, you're about to get into this, but mm, the sin taxes are almost all regressive in mm -hmm. the sense of like who don't, so go ahead go yeah you know well so that's the thing a second purpose of taxes can be to change behavior so everything i've just implied there is that when a tax is levied on something it changes the way we behave we're going to be likely to do less of that thing because we don't want to pay the tax right so um you know so i might say we're going to tax um you know if, if you do things like tax yachts fewer people will buy yachts right that wasn't really the point. We weren't trying to get fewer people to buy yachts. We just thought, oh, it would be good you know, right. to get money from that industry, so to yeah. speak. But on the other hand, there are some taxes where that is the point. So you could levy a tax on, <clears throat> you could levy a tax on, um, you know, on, as you say, on alcohol or on cigarettes. Now, if the purpose there is simply to discourage that behavior, fine. But as Ben pointed out, you're likely to, the tax is also regressive because poor people spend more of their money on those things. This is why things like New York's New York City's tax on you know supersized sodas or Slurpees or whatever, mm -hmm. it, it that affects. But they don't tax things like a giant Starbucks like mm. double latte with whipped cream. It's like this is aimed at one group of people, and they tend to be lower income right. folks, and that is insanely frustrating so so this is one of the issues no, so this is one of the issues what's the purpose of levying a tax money behavior change um or both and there are those who would just argue 
it's a bad idea to make it this complicated. The point of the tax code should be simplicity. So there was an era in the 90s and early 2000s when the idea of a flat tax was really um, in vogue because the idea was, hey, it's just one rate. You pay it on everything and that's it. Right, so there are different um, there are different sort of arguments about that, and that would funny that would also impact the entire industry of accounting, right? Mm-hmm. And so there there are several thousands of people who make their living in that. So even even the flat tax, even the simplification, has, has well, a because there's a, well there's a whole industry devoted to dealing with the fact that the tax right. code is so complicated. Yep. And and then um, I want to make two other points about behavior modifying taxes. So a carbon tax, which at some point we'll talk more about on when we talk about the environment, but that's meant to, that's the point of that is really not to raise revenue. The point of that is to get people to emit less carbon. <laughs> that's basically, you know, what that's for. Same thing with something like a congestion charge, uh, which is to say a tax on sort of commuting into a city, like London has a congestion charge that's meant to ease the amount of traffic that's going into the city. Um, and so that the, really the point of that wasn't to raise revenue, it was to change behavior. Um, <clears throat> last thing to note, you have to um, remember that taxes levied at different levels of government. So there are federal taxes. That's most of what I talked about. But states levy taxes too, and local governments levy taxes um, as well. Um, so it's a lot of stuff, and there are a lot of complicated issues surrounding who gets taxed, how much we're taxed, um, and, um, and who the tax burden falls on. That's kind of how the debate tends to get framed. Now let me go ahead and uh, step back and ask you, Thabiti, um, what does the Bible tell us about taxation? Unlike some issues, taxes are definitely in the Bible. So what does the Bible tell us about taxes? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's interesting. Usually when you turn and ask me that question, I go, well, not a whole lot. <laughs> um, and here is exactly the opposite. Um, taxes are, are running throughout the Bible um, and across nations uh, in the Bible. But uh, let's start with some Old Testament texts. And let's, let's think about the Old Testament system of, of taxation, um, which really had about six or seven different kinds of taxes in it. Um, the first and the most basic is forced labor. Hmm. If, you, if, if your definition of taxes is the government requiring people to pay um, you know, for, for its operation and, and the care of others and so on, mm-hmm. then forced labor is really one of the oldest, most basic forms of, of taxes uh, in the Bible. David appointed uh, Adoram, or depending on translation, Adoniram, uh, mm-hmm. over the forced laborers that he had in 2 Samuel 20, verse 24. Solomon took it to a whole other level. Solomon had as many as 30,000 forced laborers um, that he was using uh, for building projects and things of that sort in 1 Kings 5, 13 to 14. So, so the tax here is, I, the government, can conscript you to do stuff for me. That's exactly right. That's exactly mm-hmm. right. And, and, and this is what probably led to the rebellion against Rehoboam um, mm-hmm. down in 1 Kings 12. Um, and so, you know, kings are, are conscripting people for building projects like the temple and their palaces, uh, and it's been used throughout the monarchy. The second element of, of sort of taxes or tax system in, in ancient Israel uh, is the royal taxation system, right? So um, mm-hmm. this is where kings are exacting taxes of various sorts. Most complete record of that is probably found in 1 Kings 4, 7 to 19. Mm. Solomon divided the, the, the land into 12 districts each with a, government, a governor or a prefect, uh, and each district was responsible for supplying uh, the resources uh, for the king and the palace and so on uh, one month out of the year. So um, each month there was a different district that supplied uh, whatever was needed. The third element is kind of an emergency tribute uh, or, or levy. 
Um, this is usually a special tax that's raised by kings uh, in times of war, be able to support an army, things of that sort. Um, and, and what's interesting about this is this was normally required of the wealthy, right? So this, mm-hmm. was, this was a tax imposed upon wealthy uh, landowners. You see um, Menahem does that in, in 2 Kings 15, 19, and 20. Jehoiakim uh, had a, a similar tax on the wealthy. It was time to pay tribute to uh, the Pharaoh of Egypt at the time, 2 Kings 23. Um, and so this is a kind of uh, progressive tax, if you will, uh, or a tax aimed at the wealthy, though it benefits the whole country. Then um, this is the closest thing you get. There's an element in the, in the Old Testament that gets pretty close to a flat tax. Uh, that's a sort of a head tax or a poll tax. See that as early as Exodus 30. Uh, verses mm. 11 to 16, every Israelite recorded in the census who was 20 years old or older mm. had to pay a half shekel uh, tax. It was required. Um, Fun fact, Abidi, uh, if you study economics, the head tax is the most efficient tax you could possibly levy because it doesn't change anyone's behavior. There's yeah. no way to escape it. You yeah. pay it by simply existing. <laughs> yep, that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this tax continues much later in Israel's history. So when Nehemiah comes back uh, from the exile and rebuilds the temple as reconstituting the people in Nehemiah 10, a third of a shekel was a head tax that was um, levied against folks there. Um, then there are taxes, if you think about the offering system of the Old Testament, um, those are taxes. We tend to think of those as voluntary uh, but they're not entirely voluntary because if you don't make the offerings, you actually get excommunicated uh, mm. from the country, right? So you think about the the Sabbath, uh, the Jubilee year, mm-hmm. um, the gleanings that are left in the field for the poor. All these are kinds of transfers. All of these are, are, are taxes of a sort um, that are bound up together with the worship of Israel. Um, in the Jubilee year, the land rests and the people eat whatever the land mm-hmm. produces. Um, male slaves are freed. Uh, family property, hmm. uh, which was purchased uh, by others, is returned to the family. Um, and so you get these kinds of taxes, if you will. One scholar, um, with, with just a little bit of hyperbole, called, called these things, um, these laws, the most radical social legislation prior to the 20th century. Hmm. Um, and, and another writer says this, the provisions for the sabbatical year, the jubilee year, and the gleaning rights all represent welfare taxation systems according to which landowners and slave owners are required to give up income they might otherwise expect hmm. for the benefit of those classes <laughs> otherwise without protection in ancient Israel. Um, and so these taxes are getting at a kind of distributive uh, and redistributive kind of justice. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Then you got the first fruits and the other offerings. Um Again, you don't make these offerings, you get excommunicated, so they, they function yeah. like a tax there. And then, of course, you got tithes. So this is the big one. Mm-hmm. Um, the word tithe, of course, means a tenth. Israel was to give a tenth of all their agricultural and cattle income as a tax to support the temple and the Levites. Um, tithing is actually quite early, even before Israel is a mm-hmm. is a nation state, so to speak. Abraham pays tithes to Melchizedek um, in, in Genesis 14, Jacob offers a tithe tithe Mm -hmm. in Genesis 28. You get these central texts in Deuteronomy 14, Leviticus 27, Numbers 18. Um, Again, Nehemiah reestablishes tithe in Mm -hmm. Nehemiah 10. Uh, And these are ways of caring for the priesthood, providing for the temple, Mm -hmm. and so on. Uh, What's really clear when you look at taxes in the Old Testament is um, 
you, you can't draw a line straight from Israel to the United States. You can never mm-hmm. do that, really. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but one of the reasons why you can't do that is because um, what we sort of prize is the separation of church and state and things yeah. like that sort. That's not at all the context of Israel. Yeah. So theocracy. Um, and so what's levied by the king mm. supports the religion of Israel. What's what's raised by the temple supports the, the government of Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see that in Ezekiel 45, 13 and 17, for example. Um, so this, this is a system of funding both um, the country, mm-hmm. but also funding a religion. Uh, we've moved away from that in the state. So used to have taxes that were levied by churches in the, in the colonies. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, those became part of um, Christian pushes or impetus for religious liberty. Uh, mm-hmm. efforts uh, in, a, in a developing country. Then you come to the New Testament. And of course, that church-state overlap is not at all the same assumption in the mm-hmm. New Testament. Um, but you, you see that secular governments have the right to tax. Matthew twenty two twenty one. 21. Jesus famously says, when the Pharisees are trying to trap him, render to Caesar the things that are mm-hmm. Caesar's uh, and to God the things that are God's. It's it very clearly uh, endorsing the right of Caesar mm. um, to tax. Um Taxes, it's clear in the Bible, can be abused, right? Mm-hmm. So folks who have concern about taxes aren't altogether wrong to have that concern. But the particular concern that the Bible has about the abuse of taxes uh, is uh, concern for the ways in which the poor are taxed and oppressed. Mm-hmm. So Amos 5.11, Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, you've built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted vin- pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink of their wine. This is God chastising um, the wealthy, chastising the leaders of Israel uh, mm-hmm. for building their opulence on the backs of the of the poor and the oppressed. Proverbs twenty two sixteen: Whoever oppresses the poor to increase his mm-hmm. own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. Now, what's interesting is even in um, the the text that we talk about, where Jesus says, "Render unto Caesar what is Caesar." The Pharisees are trying to trap him there. And and the trap they're trying to spring is basically this. They know that Israel is is upset about the taxation, the occupation uh, of, of Caesar. Uh, and so if Jesus is to answer the question in a way that seems to favor taxation, you know, he's supposed to be in trouble with all those Israelites who are pushing the back against the man. Mm-hmm. If he answers in a way that sort of says, no, you don't have to pay taxes because of this injustice, then he's in trouble with Caesar. But he answers, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, which is an endorsement of Caesar's right to tax. Mm -hmm. And so the obligation to pay our taxes is not sort of clearly an obligation that's satisfied because government is righteous, Mm -hmm. right? So so if we are concerned about taxation, Mm -hmm. we we can't just kind of run away from taxes because we think, uh, well, our government is not a good government, so I'm not going to pay this tax or taxes mm-hmm. are unfair just in some unqualified way. That's not kind of how the Bible regards it in terms of attitudes. One of the texts to see that really clearly is, is Romans 13, uh, 5 to 7, where Paul writes there, Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, mm. but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing, paying taxes. Verse 7. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed. Um, 
and that's a that's a that's a text with with some really long teeth, hmm. um, because among our Christian friends, many of whom, um, you know, are sort of anti-tax mm-hmm. and pro-government, <clears throat> they seem to be sort of dividing something that Romans thirteen joins together, mm-hmm. sort of submission to government and a particular form of submission, the payment of taxes. Yeah. Um, and so the Bible calls us into this uh, as a way that governments are established and uh, handle their business mm. um, and as ways in which people are cared for yeah. um, who are in need. So Ben, does that mean that calling it theft is unhelpful? Uh, if, this, if this wasn't clear, I, I was being... Quite, no, quite no, no, no. Well, yeah, yeah, no, but I, I do think I do think that's important, though, right? And 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 even to say that, like, um, uh, because it, it's sort of you know kind of hardcore libertarians in particular who are going to say, like, and, Ben. Uh, no. well, <laughs> minus that one bit, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, no, okay. I, I, I again reject the label of libertarian. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, saying that, saying that. Taxation is a sin, theft, uh, when clearly there's scriptural mandate for it, would would be at best incorrect and at worst unhelpful. And and let's be honest, probably reveals an attitude about mm-hmm. your money that you shouldn't have. Yeah, I think at worst it's sinful. Yeah. Right? So Romans 13, 7 couldn't be clearer. Right. Yeah. Pay, pay your taxes. Jesus couldn't be clearer. Yeah. Give to Caesars what yeah. is Caesars. So if the heart responds to the commands of God with... Yep. Yeah, I don't really want to do that. I mean, that's, that's at the sin. heart of sin. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's yeah. it's subversive of government, mm-hmm. no. right? To say like I I actually just think that it's illegitimate yeah. what government is doing here. Now, mm-hmm. uh, the the pushback I'll offer is I think when Paul uses his citizenship to you know help him or get him out of sticky situations, we too are able to participate in the political system. Oh, yeah. To adjust or argue for mm-hmm. lower or higher tax rates as as we see fit, and so. I don't think it's illegitimate to be like, I think there should be less taxes and I'm going to vote. Oh, yeah, yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I, I actually think it, the rhetorical point is the challenging thing. Yeah. Not not the like actually because because the, the other side of that equation is if I'm a government and I've told and I've convinced my voters and or my colleagues that, you know, pass laws that um, this is the level of taxation, this significant level of taxation is the one we're going to have, then that confers upon me a duty to spend that money wisely and well and to not abuse right. the sort of authority that comes with spending that whatever amount mm-hmm. of money that is, mm-hmm. right? And if I'm not doing that, for you, you, you might not t- say I'm a thief, right? But you'll say... You're a bad government. Right. And, 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 and right, 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 or, or just, or that I'm, that I'm corrupt, that I abused, yeah. right? So it wasn't the fact of the taxation that was the problem. It was the misuse of what was therefore taxed. And maybe because I, I wanted to misuse this much money, I, that was the real reason I wanted higher taxes. Right. And that's a problem too. Right. Like, do you, you, maybe you, this is somewhat famous in DC circles, but, um, he's, he's not a senator anymore, but, but Senator Coburn used to do his, he did it annually where he Tom Coburn in Oklahoma. Yeah. Yeah. He would pull this report on things that tax dollars were spent on. Mm -hmm. And so you'd see things, this is, this is a legitimate, I have to go back and pull the site, but this is a legitimate example. The over a million dollars of tax money was spent to put shrimp on treadmills and watch how fast they crawl. Like this is a thing. (laughs) That was a, that was research, right? Yeah. That was a thing that happened. Academic freedom, Ben. Right. (laughs) 
I'm just I'm just saying that is a thing that happened. So yeah, 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 sure. So the que- the question then becomes if we're going to <laughs> give a ton of money for research of this sort or or interests of that sort, while the marginalized and the poor are still like nearly destitute, that 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 doesn't ring well for me. Sure, of course. Yeah, I mean yeah. The, the evaluation of sort of the type of tax and the purposes of tax mm-hmm. and what the revenue is used for, I think is a different question yeah. apart from the legitimacy of taxation yes. itself. Yes, of yeah. course, of right? course. Yeah, yeah that's um, right. And I, I think it's interesting, the conversation we've just been having these last couple of minutes about um, the, the, the citizens' participation uh, in government to lobby for, advocate for, mm. um, lower taxes, higher taxes, whatever, that's a pretty American conversation, right? Mm-hmm. There, there are lots of the world mm-hmm. uh, yep. is is not able, and in fact, the, the sort of biblical world is not mm-hmm. a world that that has that privilege, yeah, right. you know, mm-hmm. at all. And so, um, I I kind of want to sort of um, come back to the more primitive assertion of the Bible, you know, apart from the the privileges we have, which we should exercise. Ben mm-hmm. rightly pointed out, and so I say, okay, at bottom, at heart. Are, are we embracing what seems to be just very evident uh, in the scripture, um, the yeah. legitimacy of government sure. to tax? Yeah. Um, and and is what's our heart posture toward that? Yeah. Um, then we get to some of the evaluative questions, which which I think are good things to yeah. come to. Yeah. My other takeaway from, so the legitimacy certainly is a big takeaway from the scripture. You just kind of ran us through the BD. And then I think to your point, like the noble purposes mm. to which it, it's there's almost a blueprint in there for, you know, what might well not all of them <laughs> mm. we want conscripted labor right although mm. i mean you know i mean military service, service is and draft is i mean mm. that, if, they, if that would be the analogy today and we, i don't think any, well we can have a separate discussion on whether we think that's okay but i think we mostly think that's okay um as a part of a and and, and i think that um to just say there are different purposes laid out there all of which for different times and circumstances would be legitimate purposes, redistributive purposes you've described, revenue raising purposes, other things like that. Well, even you know uh, the New Deal. There was quite a bit of public work stuff that happened, and that wasn't mm-hmm. you weren't conscripted, but you didn't have any. A lot of people didn't have well, any other job. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. you don't really have a choice. I don't think that that was bad. Yeah, I think you know it's probably perfectly legitimate just going further and further away from those libertarians no no no, no. no. <laughs> but, but he's hedging saying, he's, he's, he's wincing and squirming <laughs> i'm saying that was not immoral that, i'm not yeah, saying yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm not, not i'm i'm not saying that's yep. the public policy choice i would have made yep. yeah, Th- that's quite important though so much of the current debate over taxes actually is it it, it, it can have moral implications but it usually is not itself like a life or death like is this moral or not? It's a it's a debate on which a lot I think a lot of reasonable people can disagree. How much do we tax? Who do we tax? You know, and for what? Right. right? So with that in mind, let's let's turn to some of those questions. What do we think are some of the legitimate purposes um, of taxation? Some of the things I laid out that I talked about: revenue, changing behavior, redistribution, simplification. Um, what what should as a Christians? How should we think about the purpose of taxation? Well, if I take my cue from the scripture, mm-hmm. uh, particularly old, the Old Testament, um, I think the purposes are multiple, mm-hmm. right? So if we're looking for a tax system that only does one thing, mm. we're, we're probably going to find that that's, that's not workable pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the Old Testament system, you, you have taxes that are 
not sin taxes, but but that are actually encouraging, incentivizing the baby behavior you want to see. Sure. So the the offerings, um, mm-hmm. the temple, um, you're incentivizing worship there. You've got taxes that that redistribute the gleanings in the field, mm-hmm. um, the 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 tithe of the offerings in the temple that provide for the the Levites mm-hmm. who themselves have no inheritance uh, apart from God. Um, and so you've got some redistrib- redistribution that's happening there, mm-hmm. uh, the Jubilee uh, redistributions and so on. Um, then I think, you again, you've got taxes that are, that are about public works, mm-hmm. the building of the temple, um, the building of the king's palace, yeah. um, raising funds for military. Yeah. Um, those are things that are sort of uh, providing public benefits, public goods. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a legitimate purpose of, of, of taxation. Uh, as well. What's interesting to me, I, I hadn't thought about this until preparing for this. What's interesting to me is you, you've got taxes in, in the Old Testament system, mix of taxes and offerings. You've got taxes that actually, to use our language, some mm-hmm. are progressive, mm-hmm. some are regressive, mm-hmm. um, some, are, some are flat. Um, so you've actually got a mix of things there mm-hmm. um, that probably also ought to be in um, how we think about our tax system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, Ben. Yeah, I think the the thread I'm pulling from what um, T just said is kind of all of these things seem to be whether it's material, spiritual, or national. It's all for a public good in a sense, right? It's mm-hmm. for the spiritual health of the people, or the material health of the people, or you know the public works good of the nation right like th- th- that's kind of the thread i see I- i'm i'm tempted to say or what i would say is i hope that our tax policy today those taxes would be done in the in the public interest for public good um, that is not always the case mm-hmm. I, I think i think that's probably pretty clear i, I also want to take a a step further at the meta level and this is this what this is what underlies my skepticism about broader and broader or more and more tax taking from from the people and it's it's i money is power in, in some mm-hmm. level it is a form of power mm-hmm. and i am at a philosophical level just a, a little distrustful of of government having more and more power as as we go now reason being for you know look we can't it's in god's hands he's sovereign so i, I trust him whichever way it goes but to the degree to which i have a have influence the reason i'm going to generally speaking not want to cede more power to the government is i don't want them to if to the degree that i'm able i want to encourage them not to interfere with with our individual Mm -hmm. ability to pursue the righteous and good life as we would want to Mm -hmm. Um, and money is is a small but crucial part of that so that's why i at a, at a high level, yeah. I'm just generally skeptical of ceding more power to a, a pretty large state, right? Like mm-hmm. now we're not Western Europe, but we've, we've got a pretty big and rich government that has a lot of capability across the board. Um, and you, we can point to things right now that are not going well between the people and, and the government at the police level, whatever, sure. or whatever you want to point to. And so it's, I tend to be just a little bit skeptical about saying, you know what? Have some more. Because I trust this hmm. government institution to do it well. And that, that's that's my so, hesitation. So let's have fun with this. Okay. So do you trust robber barons more? Um, I, tr- I do trust small businesses more. Oh, 
Uh, that was such a politician's <laughs> answer. Such a politician's Such a misdirection. You've been in D.C. Yes. how long now? 13 years. You look at it. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. It's soaked into him. Who, who, <laughs> who are the... Yeah. So, my... So, my least, you know why I asked the question. Yeah, right. Because I think we have um, plentiful evidence, historically as well, that if... if So, money is the root of all kinds of evil. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's true whether you're talking about government or whether you're talking about individuals. Yes. And I think the exploitive ability of individuals, large business owners and corporations, is as bad historically as government. Absolutely. That's almost so, my so, point. Yeah. Well, but but I think the way your way I heard your point yeah. was give government less and leave business more. Not, and, and I'm yeah. just that just doesn't seem like an answer to me because I think business is ex, is is arguably more exploitative. Than, than government. So this is so not necessarily. I'm I'm thinking more individual. So I think you could you if we're gonna get into specific tax plan. I think you could say corporate taxes, which we are pretty low on. Like mm -hmm. we are I, now. I'm not. Yeah, I am yeah. not inherently objecting to those. I do think at an individual or at a family household level, I want to have less of that. So you're thinking more. Particularly about income taxes, yeah. Not rather, also, than, rather than the whole mix of the yeah. tax system. Yeah, I also think sales tax is something. Sales tax, yeah. Right. I think yeah. sin taxes mm -hmm. uh, disproportionately affect uh, poorer communities, and so I, those are the things that I think about. So, yeah, I'm thinking your point is well made. We shouldn't try. Like there are less controlling mechanisms on corporations than there are on the government. So, I get yeah. that. However, I the individual versus the government, like we have far less tools than either of those. And so that's why I, I get yeah. a little nervous. Yeah. I'm, I'm tracking with you. Yeah. I'm tracking with you. Now. So I would, I would say this with uh, taxes. I think that, um, I, I just jotted down sort of four things, right? You should raise the revenue you need. Um, you should, you know, sort of change the behavior that you need to change in some, some, in some cases, taxes are a better way of changing behavior than straight up policy or law is. Right. And both plus and minus, like yeah. tax credits. Mm -hmm. Yes, right. that's yeah. correct. That's right. That's right. Um, it um, <clears throat> it should redistribute money, and I'll say why in just a second. Um, and it should actually it should be within those constraints as simple as it can be, which is to say there's lots of room for simplification in our current tax code. The revenue you need point, Ben, I think one thing I get uncomfortable with is the idea that there's such a thing. Like, like I think the heuristic of the modern conservative movement has been whatever the tax is, it should be lower like almost blindly so at mm -hmm. this point. Like no matter what we do, the tax should be lower, right? And um, <clears throat> that works up to a point. At some point, it theoretically reaches, it exhausts its sort of limit, right? right? And um, I, you can argue whether or not we've gotten there already. I think in certain categories of tax, maybe we have and in others we haven't. But I, I'm, I feel uncomfortable with any sort of simple rule like that around the level taxation should be because it just warps the conversation. All tax is bad, like all tax cuts good. And that is like one one of our parties would have you believe that right now, right? And I and I'm not to say I don't want to take the opposite tack. All new tax is good and you know, never you know, never cut taxes, right? Well but, I don't know that that's so I I don't know that that's true. Like it's it, right there in the taxpayer protection pledge, man. <laughs> yeah. It's right Grover, there. Grover Norquest aside. Like every every single elected Republican right. officeholder has signed that pledge. Except well, almost every single except one. you're completely ignoring like the populist movement that's sort of happening on both sides, but mm. in, in the Republican Party as well. Like there is not a ton of objection, and this is anecdotal, from 
rank and file Republicans on taxing billionaires. Sure, more. sure. Right. Uh, although the taxpayer protection pledge will prevent them from voting from such a from such Nobody's a tax. Nobody's going to listen to that pledge as soon as it's not in their interest. I suppose so. I don't know. That's, <laughs> it's, it's been a very effective. I was reading. I was like, wow, it's really clear and simple and effective. It's like twenty words long. And almost every Republican elected office holder has signed it and basically yeah. says, I will never vote to raise taxes ever, no matter what, under any circumstance. That's that, essentially what it says. They haven't held to, they haven't held to that historically. Mm, they have. That's so, th- yeah. But in the Bush years, they cut payroll taxes, but there's other taxes that increase. And then in H.W. <clears throat> Bush, I mean, he famously said, no new taxes. I don't know. That that was before the pledge <laughs> got its real power. Right? Okay. So my, my, it's sort of the modern era, right? right. Like. But anyway, all, all that to say, I was—I I would just say, like, I think that you want to think—you want to think in a nuanced way. Does that make sense? What would be reasonable? Is that worthy of asking? I mean, we should be take it seriously. We're asking people to pay more for something. Is it worth doing that? Right. So, to yeah. your point, like, do we have tax what you need? Like, do you not think the American government has enough income? I so so I think I think Ben, the challenge there. So, so just to just to cite the stats, right? So, OECD countries, other kind of wealthy countries in the world, twenty-seven um, percent of all American GDP goes to taxes. Now, you could look at that and go, "Wow, that's a lot." Twenty-seven cents of every dollar goes to st- a combination local, state, and federal taxation. Now, in the OECD, it's as low as thirteen percent. That's Mexico, and as high as about forty something percent. That's Denmark, right? Um, and you know, the U.S. is a little below the average. The average like thirty-four percent, right? Um, I, I, I think you could, I, so I would tell you, I'm sure I could find lots of shrimp treadmill examples, right. Of bad spending that we shouldn't be kind of spending our tax dollars on. That's great. And, and I, I think we should do that. Right. Um, I think that when you think about things like is social security sort of fully funded, which you've asked the question, it's not right. Yeah. You could ask like, what's the future for sort of Medicare and should there be more health coverage? Those are, those are big items that cost a lot of money, yep. right? And I would argue, like, I think a lot of where people come from is they kind of don't know that they can find all the waste and abuse and just sort of limit all that to funnel the money towards those sorts of things. I think if they, if I could, I would, right? But instead, what you're left with is, well, we want to pay for this. We don't have the money to pay for this. So maybe we need to raise taxes for that, right? Right, but to, yeah. to and at, at the risk of oversimplifying, when we do our household budget, when we take a look at like how much we're spending and how mm-hmm. much we're 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 that's coming in, yep, we are we are not generally speaking spending tons more than than what we should, and we're also take we're trying to make the amount of money that we need. So, I guess what I'm yeah my my point is kind of like th- there has been no check on the expansion of government spending. Not that taxes is related to this in a roundabout way, but my the point is like we. The government is is intaking all this money, and there's just no cap on how much they're going to spend. And yet, at the same time, there's this other parallel, like tax income is you know relatively flat, spending's increasing, and it's like these two things mm-hmm. don't work out. Now, I know progressives are going to say, well, we should tax more to balance that, but there's another. We should also consider spending less. Yeah, and and so that's where I, I'm uncomfortable with the idea of like, well, we should just tax more, tax more, tax more until. Yeah. So we get to the point where we make up for a relative lack of discipline spending. Yeah. So no, but I but I think that's a both end, right? Like obviously sure. we should try to eliminate waste and fraud and abuse in our in our system. But I'm not just talking about waste, fraud and abuse, right? Like you're talking about how much we're spending on the defense sector, how much we're spending on social security. Like social security is a program that was developed in the forties. 
you can start collecting at 65. We live far longer now. Now, in, in some in progressive circles, what I just said would be verboten. But raising the age minimum to 70, that would sure as heck seem pract a practical adjustment given how long mm -hmm. people live today. Yeah. And so I look at things like that, and I'm like, I feel like the progress. I feel like the progressive position is always like, well, we need more to do more, and it's kind of like, D do you? Like, uh, can't we make the most of what we actually have already allocated to the government for this stuff? Um, and that's yeah. I, I at some so point me, I'm like, are we incentivizing so, bad spending? Behavior? Yeah. So Ben, let me give you a bit of a different sure. perspective on this. I think about this because, like, as you know, my day job is like I work with governments yes. right here and in other parts of the world. And I think what you'll find in most places that are kind of reasonably non-corrupt, and I include America, Canada, other sure. places among those, is you'll find bureaucrats who, in general, are underpaid relative to market, like almost all of them are. Like if you work for city government or the federal government or the state or st city and state government, certainly, and even the federal government in many cases of sort of professionals there, they're underpaid relative to market, right? Um, they are working with budgets to try to get things done in programs that they've been living in lean years, essentially in terms of what they're able to spend for a long, long, long time, right? The trend of the last 20 years or so has been actually to cut budgets and to cut taxes. That's mostly what's been happening. Um, it has forced discipline on sort of governments and the way they operate. It has forced them to kind of trim the fat and think about it. Now, of course, there are still examples of um, you know, money not being spent in the right ways. But I guess one view I've come around to over the years, Ben, is there is a certain inefficiency that comes with money being spent publicly versus it being spent privately that is the price of democratic government. So I'll give you an example. Like if I'm you know, like it, at the Department of Defense, right? Mm -hmm. And I want to like, you know, uh, let out a contract for um, some big kind of what, whatever, you know, a defense system, a radar defense system or something like that. There are procurement rules I have to follow to make sure that I'm not corrupt. There are things I have to, there are people I have to pay to do things that anybody else letting out an RFP wouldn't have to do, right? There are um, other rules that have to be followed to make sure I don't talk to anybody about it and other things like that. Um, there are a whole, there's a whole bunch of money that ends up getting spent that is not technically the most efficient spending of that money. And yet, to protect against corruption, I would argue, well, gosh, that's the price of sort of a public trust and democratically, you know, sort of controlled spending. Or even spending that is overseen by the public, as it were. Um, and so there's a certain amount of kind of bureaucratic kludge that I actually think is just the price of living in a free society. Yeah, like, that, that doesn't compel me in any in any way, shape, or form, which is fine. Like I think that's that's okay. I, to me, it's so. Clint Ben's in the classic deregulation position. Uh, <laughs> well, it depends on the it depends on the sector. Mm. I think there's there's areas where we are overly regulated, and there's areas where we're underregulated. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, we those are separate podcasts. But. We need to regulate kale more. Uh. We need to regulate it out of existence. Mm -hmm. My goodness, there's some strong feelings there. Well, so to to continue on my sort of four sure. things I was saying, right? Yeah. I was saying the, try to get the revenue you need and try to be wise about that. I think that's just what we're just discussing here, Ben. Are questions of wisdom? Sure. As we yeah. think about that, right? Um, try to redistribute, and I, we should have an episode on inequality. But I guess what I'd say here is. Um, there is a okay, so I'm I'm gonna come out as a radical. I'm totally for things like a wealth tax, right? Like who needs more than fifty million dollars of personal net worth, right? And we're not even talking about eliminating everything above that. We're talking about just taxing it. Um, there's you know there's that sort of uh, there's that line of argument going around among progressives on Twitter. It says every billionaire is a policy failure. I kind of believe that, right? Like. Um, if you even if you're an economist and you subscribe to the idea that people get paid their marginal product, 
right? Do we really believe that some people literally deserve, are thousands, tens of thousands times more valuable in their contribution to society than those that are not billionaires, right? Well, so I don't, I don't have, surprisingly maybe, I don't have any, any objection to this particular point. Okay. Uh, I think I think it's clearly there's plenty of examples in the Old Testament of redistributive, mm-hmm. yeah, public policy. So I, I think that's a I don't have a I don't have a problem with that, um, and I don't have a problem with taxing. Um, you know, l- let's be honest, I'm never going to be a billionaire. It's like, you know, there's I don't have a <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, it's I don't too have bad. A, I don't have a dog in that fight. I don't know. I met your wife. She's pretty fantastic. She's, she, she's she might turn a she billion, might, she, she you know, in her one. career. Man. All, we, all right. we need is a few more listeners for this podcast, and the road <laughs> to billionairedom will begin. Tell your friends. Um, right. So, yeah, I don't, I don't have an objection to that public policy. I will say, I think that there are unintended consequences of mm-hmm. certain tax policies that disproportionately will hit small business owners and things of that sort. Yeah. Um, that we need to be really careful of like so as we as we fish for the right policy to redistribute redistribute from the most wealthy to less wealthy we we want to be careful that we're not catching up um smaller fish of course of course in those nets yeah Um, absolutely yeah absolutely but but some way of saying like so you know through much of the mid-20th century right like our top marginal tax rate were was between 70 and 90 percent and now it's what 50 40 yeah right yeah. uh the sky did not fall when that happened i'm not right. saying it's like everything was perfect then but what i am saying is there's there is actually an argument around just like what happens when you make that much money um and uh you know should that mean that like you're called to contribute more right as the sort of biblical examples suggest right yeah um yeah yes right and so and and so i think i think there's something there around and by the way in terms of societal cohesion the oh, idea yeah. of like what's the sort of differential between the richest person in the world and the, and the poorest, poorest person in the world, right? Like that matters. Yeah. A mark of instability when when yeah. people are trying to figure out how unstable a country is for investment or otherwise, one of mm-hmm. the marks they look at is the di- the disparity between the rich and the poor. Because yeah. Yeah. I think we all know you can point to <clears throat> historical examples all over the place. If you have a ton of poor people and a few rich people, yeah. that's that's a powder keg. Yeah. It's bad. So the third thing I'll say about changing behavior. Um, ben, I think I take your point on sin taxes, right? Like um, that's one of that's one of those cases where if you really think alcohol is bad, you should just you know well, you you you, you should probably ban it. Although that didn't work either, <laughs> um, but it, it works better in certain other cases. So environmental regulation. The reason you know environmental wonks are all about carbon tax is because um, basically sort of um, pe- people kind of figured out you know several decades ago that the the original thing that they proposed which was simply banning the pollutive activity uh wasn't a good idea but if you tax it um that disincentivizes it brings it down um but it also kind of does so in a way that allows you to make trade-offs between the sort of productive aspect of the activities that create pollution as well and the things that are harmful about it Um, putting a price on carbon would be uh, as the tagline goes right um or if you want a more livable city and you want to be able to you know the uh the, the joke in Los Angeles where I come from is you could pave the entire city over with highways and there would still be traffic sure. because the cost of driving is zero. But, you know, enact tolls, enact taxes, and you can start to change behavior such that it's actually possible to get around the city. So, but how is public transportation there? Uh, well, actually, it, the way you do that is you levy the congestion charge and you use the revenue from that to fund build-outs of public transit. I mean, that's how you do it. Yeah, I wouldn't. 
I wonder if you need to do the have the transit infrastructure there first. Actually, no. So this, it's funny. Yeah. This is actually some work that I'm doing right now. Like yeah. you do, right? Like you can't just say you can't just say stop All right, driving. Guys. And and by the way, there's there's a distributive question yeah. there too, right? Yeah. Because basically, when you say I want to discourage people from driving, well, who does that hit, right? In terms of people who have to commute to work and other I, things like that. I mean, you, let's talk about DC. The the people who the people who drive more <clears> often than not are going to be tend tend to be. I mean, it's everybody, but it's a lot of people who yeah. make less money because where is the most valuable property in Virginia, in Maryland? It's near the metro stop. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot more ability for, you know, somebody in Virginia to buy a fancy house near a metro stop than, you know, yeah. where I live, um, you know, not far from here, there isn't a metro. There's barely any bus lines. And yep. it's like, you're going to tell my neighbors to stop driving, and yet right. there's not an alternative. That's exactly right. So, so all this to say, right? Those three things I just named, raise enough revenue, redistribute, and um, uh, you know, sort of change behavior in certain areas, all those three are in deep tension with each other, yeah. which usually means that when you're designing a tax system, um, there is no one right answer. This is why my heuristic of less is always better isn't, I don't think that's a good one, right? Like, this, there is no one right answer. You have to really come at it with this sense of looking at all the factors and sure. figuring out like what would make the most sense here. So partisanship is particularly unhelpful so in the business of like making tax policy. The rejoinder to your less is always better, like more is – I want to flip it. More is not always better I, I, But that's not the argument I'd make, right? Like the argument I'd make is you got to just sort of look at all the different uh, factors. and it, it feels – not you specifically. It feels like progressives are often making that argument. I think we're living in an environment where we've been cutting taxes for four decades. And so what you get is any progressive priority that's out there, you're asking, well, how are we going to pay for it? And you look and there's there's sort of no way within the current budget to do it, right? Like for, for some of the bigger, more ambitious things that you want to do, right? Yeah. And so so I, I think that's where that's coming from. I don't think – no one is sort of as a first-order principle saying like, I love levying ah. more taxes. So Ben, you, you may say, think – When you say <laughs> things like billionaires are a policy failure, that that's, that is what that sounds like. But my purpose there is not because I love taxes. I it's because I love equality, right? Like, you know what sure. I mean? Like, so that's, is, that's my is point. Is that the progressive equivalent of calling taxes theft? I think so. So rhetorically, you think that's unhelpful? Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, really? For sure. I don't know. What, what, what do you think, Davidi? <laughs> Is every billionaire a policy failure? No, I think it's unhelpful. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about um, the question of the, the tax proposal you mentioned a moment ago about mm. taxing wealth every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, and the question you raised about, you know, who needs more than $50 million? I, I, that's one question one could ask. Um, but I guess there are other questions that need to be asked too. Uh, who, who's entitled to the wealth that I generate in, in the sort of particular economic system that we're in? I mean, who has a legitimate claim mm-hmm. on that wealth, right? Um, and and that, that, that little thing, every billionaire is a, is a policy, policy failure, it, 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 it seems to imply at least, right, that all the rest of the country has a legitimate claim on um, the sort of produce of someone else's uh, efforts. I don't know that that's a biblical principle. Um, so you're right about sort of tension mm. uh, in these things. And uh, so I'd have to think longer about that. But but my instinct is, uh, ooh, slow down. You know, let's let's reason our way to, you know, whatever positions we take. Let's, let's think that through. And precisely the kind of conversation y'all just had where you're, you know, in good nature, needling yeah, each yeah. other about about your positions, and said, "Well, but no, wait about it." Oh, what? Da, da, da. Um, it, it is complex, yeah. and and, it, and it's why 
it's not figured out, right? This was mm-hmm. easy. Somebody would have done it and taken credit a long yeah. time ago. Um, but it's it's not easy. Yeah, yeah. And, and the specifics of tax policy are are really complicated, right? So we can we're talking at a broad level, which in some ways is almost unhelpful because you you want to get on a particular policy or tax proposal to evaluate what you think the pros and cons are of it. Um, one of the arguments that I'll you made was like you know the, this idea that the government's going to have a certain level of inefficiency. Yeah, that, that's one. That's one concern of mine. But generally speaking, I do worry about like just the expansion of government power. So you talked about countries like Denmark, who have 40 percent, you know, whatever the high number is of of taxation rates. And in those scenarios, you do, you know, Frederick Hayek is the famous road to serfdom, right? Like this idea that as the state increases, you become more dependent on the state. Mm -hmm. And that can, as we've seen in several 20th century examples just leads to some some really bad stuff even today in china right the the state is all powerful and from whether you're talking about you know hong kong to forced abortion to whatever else like that that kind of thing i think is very possible here Mm -hmm. not tomorrow not in 10 years most likely but that's at that is also it's not just inefficiency argument it is also a a i don't i don't trust corporations but I also don't trust an all-powerful state, given mm-hmm. it's made up of some wicked people. Um, so that is, that's also part of the hesitation. It's not just an inefficiency argument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I, absolutely, absolutely. And and I do think that what it comes down this is why the nuance comes in, right? Yeah. Should is the government the best person to fulfill the best entity to fulfill whatever the function is? Right. Buying a missile system, yeah, probably. Probably. Right. Like, but for other things, probably not. Right. Like, you know, like, and, and I think that like you. That's why to me the nuance is so important. And so like the 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 idea of like just approaching these different factors, like you know, if you're a Christian, there are different reasons why a tax might be a good idea. Like we've given you a few of them, right? Yeah. And it's like which which I, I I'd evaluate like what is the reason here? Do I think that reason's valid? Yep. And therefore, do I think well, that the tax is a good idea? Let me give you one example. I'm curious. What about sales tax? Why do you why do you find that valid? Uh, or not that I'm saying it's invalid. I'm just curious. Mm, so for me, like sales taxes fall under that rubric of the purpose is to raise revenue. Mm-hmm. So all you're trying to do is limit the damage that comes from the fact that you're taxing an economic activity, right? Like, so, so in other words, like, uh, the question is, can I get away with it and have it not be, ha- and have it not sort of fall, uh, have it not have bad effects on behavior or distribution because I'm trying to like raise revenue. I'm just trying to make sure there are no bad impacts on the other two things. So you prefer sales to income? Um, not necessarily. That's also a libertarian position, Ben, right? Like, like thinking like, yes, right. I'm just, I'm just, I'm curious. I'm trying to suss out more of your thinking. I guess what I'd say is, um, from, this is why the devil's always in the details, right? So for example, um, there are proposals out there. I mean, Ted Cruz made one of these proposals, right? Around like going to something more like a national sales tax, a national value added tax like they have in Europe. Um, and here's the thing. It's all about how you design it, right? If you design such a tax to, kind of replace all income tax. Let's start with that, right? And if you were, so it would be a pretty hefty tax as yeah. a result of that. And then if you designed such a tax so that you exempted necessities like food and clothing, yeah. you exempted the types of, you ex- you could even exempt gas if you yeah. wanted to, right? You could exempt the things that you know working class people like are a disproportionate share of their budgets. You could say everything else is subject to this tax. Um, the arguments for it are it's simple. You know what you're paying. You don't need to like file anything with the IRS once a, once a year. Right. 
right? Um, and if you design it in the right way so that it has the right distributive consequences, it might be a good idea. I'm a progressive, and I could tell you there's a way to design such a tax that would meet progressive goals. It seems like it would have a depressive impact on economic activity, though, right? Like, if you can avoid the tax by not buying stuff. Sure. You're, yeah. So that... But, but 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 imagine if it replaced everything else, right? No double taxation of anything then. I'm keeping 100% of my paycheck by no, contract, decide. right? Well, no, you, <laughs> right, but if you're, I guess it just depends. Like if you're super miser, if the, if the America de decides to be super miserly mm -hmm. and- well, So that's just the thing. What would the net effect nationally right. be would be a higher savings rate, which is a macroeconomic indicator. Which is a good thing. Right, like yeah. it's like how much of our money goes our toward consumption, how much of it goes towards investment, how much of it goes towards savings. Historically, American savings rates have been going down. For a long time. Imagine if they were to go back up, right? So so that, yeah. that, this is why there are so many trade-offs when you think about those various aspects of um, tax policy and why I just don't think there's ever, there's there's almost never a simple answer to these questions. Sure. Yeah. And, 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 and often there's a lot of freedom within the bounds of biblical wisdom uh, for kind of how you make those choices. Right, and I, I can see why the libertarian or the conservative, well, libertarian position would be pro-sales tax because you have choice. Whereas income tax, you don't. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Like, and, and and then, of course, you could then say, hey, I'll just eliminate sales taxes and I'll ha I'll have it all go on income. And you could design a progressive income tax that a progressive would be really happy with. Or you could design it as a completely flat tax of one rate that a libertarian would probably be pretty happy with. Right. So it's all about there are just so many details in tax policy sure. that you, you kind of have to. I mean, and to our earlier point about child tax credit, we've talked about this, right? Oh, yeah. When we talked about it in the abortion episode, imagine a fully refundable $15,000 a year tax credit for oh. every child in your household. That's a way to use tax policy. It would be expensive to the government, but it would be a way of oh, using yeah. tax policy um, to push toward a type of behavior change that I think all three of us agree is a good Yeah, that was the, right? that, that's one of the few policy positions or proposals you've made on this podcast that i was like yeah i would, I would, I would <laughs> one would, of the few <laughs> one of the few i would i like I it would support that there yeah. we go we should probably end on that note. Uh, yeah, there we, we go we got our, we got our harmony that. that's right um Tabiti, any last words from you or any last advice before we pray out no this is good man it's a good conversation i mean we're just replicating the kinds of conversations that happen in the halls of power right mm. and so if we're tempted uh, as Christians to be discouraged or angry or frustrated as we watch our elected officials um, move the ball or not move the ball on this. Mm -hmm. Maybe remembering how hard this is will, will incite us to more prayer um, than frustration. And for their wisdom as well. That's right. That's, That's right. right. Yep. All right. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that um, you're God who provides all our needs. Uh, you promised, O oh Lord, that, or you tell us in your word that um, the righteous will not be forsaken or as children begging bread and help us to trust that. Help us to trust that when it's time to give Caesar what is Caesar's. Help us to trust that, uh, Lord, as we think through um, these very difficult issues and grant us a spirit of prayer to pray for those, O oh Lord, in authority over us, to intercede for uh, presidents and kings and, and um, those whom you have raised up um, and grant that they should rule, rule wisely. Um, and that um, your people and people made in your image uh, would be blessed all the more for it. And we ask this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits podcast. Many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism. 
and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.